It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! The idea of Chris shaving his beard has always disappointed me. Like, no one is a fan of it. Your beard looks so good. It is a great beard. It's like, it a, it's like a teddy bear thing. It looks, yeah. You're like the most huggable guy I know. And then I need a change. And... I think we're I think we're getting to something. Chris looking huggable is something that he probably doesn't want to give off. He doesn't want hugs from anyone, maybe other than his immediate family. So I think that's part of it. Is that not true? You don't want hugs. You're shaking your head, Chris. You don't want hugs from your immediate family, or you don't want Correct. hugs in general. Oh. Correct. I'm not a hugger. Oh, that's shocking news. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Chris Nee and the one, the only, Dirty Dane Draper. Hey, Dane. Hello. How's it Hello. going? Hello. Uh, it's great to have you, Dane. Uh, you, you've had some travels this past week, so we'll talk to you about that for a little bit. Uh, we address Chris's beard in the cold open. So I think those are the, the most noteworthy things to talk about. Uh, although there is something else I guess we should probably get to. And, and I always get uh, Jostle tried to figure out like how to go from hosting the podcast and getting everyone involved. And I don't want to alienate Dane right away from the conversation. But I think this is the most pressing thing to talk about. Unless, Dane, you want to talk about ESPN saying that FSU might be felons. Is that something that you want to get felons. into? Felons. I feel like I'm not caught up on that, if I'm being honest. So <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll comfortably be excluded from that. You missed, so, you missed the latest I think it was 17 pages of documents reading the lovely legal case that's ongoing. This was nice. the easiest yeah. one to read, I will say. It was the least yeah. amount of legalese. So uh, that was. I mean, it was basically 17 pages of them repeating themselves, and then on one page they threw in the word felony. So to catch people up, and uh, before we get any further, let's give a shout-out to our podcast sponsor, Chattanooga Whiskey. They are the premier distillery in the southeast the premier craft distillery uh, my personal favorite for craft distillery if i want something that's going to be unique different uh, bourbon experience is not going to taste like just all the other bourbons out there chattanooga whiskey's got character it's got variety uh and it's easily accessible you can go to your public uh, supermarket uh, if they have a liquor store attached to it you can go to abc total wine Currently on Sealbacks, if you go there and Sealbacks delivers to you, they have a centenary, centenary. Oh boy, we're off to a great start, guys. Centenary, I still can't pronounce it. There's too many, there's too many E's in there. Cask, uh, which is easier to say when you're drunk. I think so. It's Irish. It's an Irish type of pot distilled mash bill, and they marry it with Oloroso sherry. So uh, it's going to be on the sweeter side. They have an herbal infused experimental batch, and the bottle's green. I don't know how I feel about that one. Uh, but one I am super excited about is their barrel finishing series, their white port cask finish, uh, their standard port cask I got a couple years ago. Loved it. 
I think I'm pretty much done with it at, at this point uh, as I go through various amount of bottles in my life. Uh, White Port Cast sounds super interesting. So uh, a shout out to Chattanooga Whiskey, our sponsor. Look at all this like different type of stuff they're doing in addition to their 111, standard bourbon, standard rye. Like they're always experimenting. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy the product so much. So Chattanooga Whiskey, please support the people who support our show. All right. FSU, in the latest cycle as, as the lawsuit drama turns, uh, was involved in ESPN filing in North Carolina Business Court Thursday evening. Uh, basically what is support of the ACC's request to keep records sealed, closed. Uh, but that's not the real story here, Chris, because I think this was an expected part of, of this process. Uh, we expected ESPN to get involved, and uh, this was up to the February 22nd deadline for them to go ahead and, and become part of, of this. Uh, they did. Nothing super revealing with that. I will say them... Uh, calling themselves the worldwide leader in the first sentence uh, made me smile. Uh, but let's talk about the, I think the, the meaty gossipy type of type of part of, of this filing. Yeah. So just to be clear, it's not ESPN really suing FSU. It's not a third party essentially jumping in. It's basically them supporting the plaintiff, the ACC in this case, it's motion to seal documents. And we've all understood since the get go of the legal battle of this, that the releasing of documents is probably the most interesting part of what will happen in the early stages of this process what could bring about a potential sit down and resolution if one is to come it's clear that the league and espn their media partner does not want documents out it's clear that fsu is being aggressive and pushing for any and all documents basically to be released and now it's in the hands of a judge in mecklenburg county charlotte north carolina to make that decision that court date is what march 12th Brendan, is that's that right? right. I don't have it right in front of me, but it's middle. Uh, yeah, I have so that's where we'll get to. As far as the, uh, you know, the uh, scintillating. Yeah. Them uh, having a little fun with this, you know, after arguing about textbook trade secrets and competitive disadvantages with other media partners and negotiations in the future with other media groups and other leagues, they just got to the point where they basically said that, you know, the actions of the FSU board of trustees and their lawyers borderline was felonious felonious sorry felonious regarding a felony potentially of their efforts to put documents out there and do that the reality is it's just an accusation it's just them being kind of you know grandeur and whatnot i, I but it was when i read the 17 pages last night i was sitting at softball and i read most of it in between the two games um that was one thing that stood out because the rest of it was pretty standard procedure kind of expected you know, they had till a certain date, I believe it was actually yesterday, might have been today, to file this in court. So this was always coming. This was always something we expected. You know, FSU is trying to use the Sunshine State laws and saying these things are in Florida, therefore they need to be allowed to be released. That's state law. You know, ESPN saying that's not the case. Here's past examples of trade agreements not being released and, you know, not being allowed to be put at competitive disadvantage. It's just another piece of paperwork on the pile. and. Yeah, it, that's going to continue for a little bit here until they actually sit down in court and some decisions start getting made or they sit down at a table and make decisions for themselves before getting to the court proceedings. So the exact quote for ESPN in this document, in this filing was uh, it posed, quote unquote, whether FSU and its lawyers have committed a felony by knowingly disclosing ESPN's trade secrets. And then they refer to that as a question for another day, which I think is the 
I don't know about grandstanding. Um, it might just be that, or it might be saying, hey, this is something that we are going to pursue later. Um, I also enjoyed them. Uh, if you look at page nine, bottom, the footnotes, four and five, FSC argues, comma, out of one side of the mouth, <laughs> that the terms of the ESP agreements belong in the first instance to the members. And then the fifth footnote, that's the fourth one. The fifth one is the ACC is non-agency in quotations within the meaning of Florida statute pertaining to Sunshine State laws. So. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe we're getting some budding lawyers by reading all these documents and people are going to change the course of their lives and do something different. Me personally, I'm just kind of tired of being buried under paperwork and having to check two different uh, clerk of courts in two different states pretty much constantly to see if new documents are being released. But that's where we're at. And Chris and I are not uh, lawyer legal experts. Uh, I struggle just to complete sentences sometimes. So the idea of having to go through uh, this paperwork is not necessarily easy. Yeah, I, I think the most significant thing about yesterday in the filing is ultimately if the judge decides that paperwork is off limits, it will not be released, or decides yes, it should be released. It's fair game because of Sunshine State law, so on and so forth. That would be a significant moment. That that's kind of a pivot point because I do think a big piece of FSU's I guess, strategy, for lack of a better term, is to create basically where anything and everything is public record, clearly in a situation where the league and their media partner has no interest in that being the case. I mean, the league's grant of rights is basically in Fort Knox, and ESPN has never been one that's been quick to put things out in the public view. I think one fairly common thread, and I'll support this with a buyer Sinone brought to you by. The Turner Group. This is from Illinois, uh, but I think this is common that a lot of people are thinking. Uh, Byer Sinone, ESPN's recent motion seals the deal that Big Ten is our next destination. Yes, uh, I think any time and every time this bye. topic has come up with me. Yes, sorry, bye. Each and every time this topic's come up with me, at least since August and possibly even before, I've always said that I felt the Big Ten was the destination for FSU. I believe they have a landing spot there. I've long believed that. I don't think FSU gets into a half-billion-dollar potential uh, media fight with their media partner and their league. If they don't know where they're going and if they don't feel confident in where they're landing, being a place I'd be welcoming. And while we clearly know who runs the SEC from a media rights standpoint, so yes, common sense now should tell everybody and anybody that it seems as though FSC's future is in the Big Ten. I think that shifts it to from likely to probable, I guess, in, in my mind. But like, Business partners sue each other all the time and then remain business partners. I think that, yeah. that, that does happen. And, and there's a weird situation where this all plays out and FSU somehow is still in the ACC. Now, I know that's not the intention, <laughs> and I don't believe that to be what will happen. But, I mean, if you're playing out any and all scenarios, that scenario does exist. All right. Dane, was that fun for you? Oh, yeah. Caught up. You changing your major right now? Oh, Going yeah. Law school? Yeah. Hanging out by the tuck for another few years? Could maybe help you guys out. I don't know. Do we want to good. talk about – we either get to some recruiting stuff, some updates. Some yeah, let's get Dane engaged. Let's get All Dane right. engaged. Dane, you drove mm-hmm. up to Atlanta with Clay Fink. So you did do a, a Falk in the Road, a Fink in the Road episode? No? Is that something we can expect? Oh, that It could have been. What could have been, yeah. See, I saw it uploading, Brendan. I immediately hit delete. <laughs> I still think Chris has listened to the Falk in the Road episode and enjoyed it. Have you never listened to it? I didn't know that. Hell to the no. Damn. This goes in line with him walking hugs from anyone that's not his family or even his family. 
Ah, all right. So you went up to Atlanta for the Under Armour camp. There was a lot of talent. Uh, Dane and Clay both did a really good job of covering the event in person and then the content in the following a day with scoop, intel, observations, all that stuff, really good. Uh, I, I think where I want to start, Dane, and we'll go into, you know, we'll talk about a couple players uh, who stood out to you, but let's talk about, like, basically become just uh, your your player that who you're kind of planting a, a flag into the ground and say this is this dude's going to be really good no matter what. Um, he'll, he'll find a way, and you hope FSU pursues aggressively, and that's Laganza Hayward. Uh, I'll let you gush a little bit there. Yeah, I've, um, I mean, FSU – like his recruitment is kind of in the beginning of like, it's just starting to kind of flourish into what honestly is probably going to end up being kind of a national recruitment. I think at this point that's happening pretty quickly. FSU offered him in mid January. And that was like right after they basically discovered who he was. Um, I remember I talked to him the day that he visited, it was the 20th, January 20th. And he said, FSU just started talking to me on Tuesday, like that, you know, during that week. Um, and that was Pastor Tan coming uh, up to Toombs County High School and seeing him in person and being kind of, I mean, just being really impressed, you know, physically with what he is. And he has great tape as well. And and he's a, like a charismatic guy and stuff. So it, it checks off a lot of boxes immediately when you, when you see him and talk to him. But, is, um, let's explain some of just like physical tools because uh, currently he's not ranked in the composite, right? 24-7 has ranked him as a top 150 recruit. Uh, but a guy who is still kind of being, to your point, Dane, uh, uncovered some. Yeah, I mean, he's like, uh, like you hear like people say like that guy's a dude or something. Like dude is such a, I don't know, it's kind of an overused word maybe. But it's to me that just means like he, a guy that's just like bigger, faster, stronger than the guys he's usually playing against, right? Um, it's a lot of the guys inside the top 150, I would think. But he's just that. He's he's uh, at the event. He said he measured in at a six foot one and a half 200 and he looks i mean he's there's uh, i'm sure his it's like body fat percentage is extremely low and he's at 200 pounds he he looks great he's working out with the wide receivers he's a defensive back for fsu he's a safety um and he just looks completely different from all the other receivers he was working out with but he moves just as well he's really explosive he's really strong um He's pretty fluid. Like he's he's a very good football player right now. I mean, he's very he was really productive on offense at Toombs County in his junior season, but also productive on the defensive side of the ball as well. He's just he's a guy who's going to be a good player probably pretty quickly, and and I I've just liked him a lot really quickly. Does he prefer one over the other, wide receiver and DB? I don't think so necessarily. He hasn't made that clear. I think if anything. Um, in talking to him, it almost seemed like DB is where he's kind of aware that he would play. Like he came into the Under, under Armour camp and they told him or they asked him to play wide receiver to like kind of show off his versatility. And he almost in his tone was almost like and we were just kind of casually talking about, but it was he was almost like skeptical in a way of that. Just in my opinion, I don't know. That might not be true. Um, but he said he did say like around half of the teams recruiting him like him on offense, which I thought was interesting because it's a, a safety. Um, he wasn't even, and he's been a standout, you know, or uh, he was listed as a standout in a lot of outlets, including us. But um, I wouldn't even say he was like particularly sharp on the day. It's just, he's so hard to not like see and be impressed with just physically because he moves so well and he looks completely different from everybody else. 
He's got a really like surprisingly developed physically physically developed body for someone his age, and that's it's cool to see. Yeah, a lot of guys start buying recruiting by looking that way. The good news with uh, him is that you put on the film and it's good. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I noticed first, and then so I, I saw that that was before FSU offered, and I said on the board that I, I was a big fan of him and a guy that I was, you know, uh, gonna hope that. FSU pursues him and then he showed up on campus that weekend and I thought it was a linebacker a four-star linebacker or something pulling up and it was him and I was like okay yeah this is this is a guy I like a ton he's right, like a, so we know like like a Kalen Deloach build just for people to kind yeah, of he's, like he's a little like, bit bigger than Kalen actually but yeah you think he's bigger right now than what Kalen I think he's bigger senior? right now than Kalen is right now yeah right, so maybe. that's what we're talking about as a safety but it's so similar. we know we know that's Dane's favorite Byers and own your second favorite was offensive lineman Mario Nash Oh yeah, I think I think Mario was the most impressive on the on the day at That's the camp. Bye. Bye. Correct. Play so the Mario, game right, Jesus. To make, both it, of to you. make it clear, uh, Mario is a guy that FSU values very dearly. He's been on campus multiple times. I think FSU is probably running second in that recruitment to Mississippi State. He is from Mississippi, so that obviously helps the Bulldogs. He was the offensive line MVP at Under Armour Atlanta, which is the event we're talking about that Dane attended. So why did you like Mario on the day? Who did he perform well against? What stood out about Mario? Um, yeah, I, so I, I haven't seen much of Mario, and I didn't have much of an expectation. Clay, I think he's, you know, really into the scouting evaluation side of things, and he uh, was, was a fan of his coming into the day. Um, he played offensive line in high school, and so he's like – the offensive line targets and stuff. Um, Fink played offensive line in high school. Yeah, just like you long snapped, Brennan. Duh. I mean, I, I did more than long snap. I got half a sack my junior season. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, uh, we saw him, and I didn't really have much of an expectation coming into the day. He's not a guy that's particularly highly ranked, and I haven't seen him, like I said. But he was probably the most explosive offensive lineman there which is really, I mean, obviously a nice surprise, but there was a lot of highly ranked guys there. Um, I mean, When Mike you say explosive, with an O-lineman, are you talking about the ability for them to get out of stance, uh, retreat, attack, get their hands up, basically? All, all of the above. Hint. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. I think when people think explosion, they always think, you know, wide receivers, DBs getting off the ground, quick and tight space and stuff like that. I think with O-line, it's a little different. The ability for very quick movements to happen. Go ahead, for sure, sorry. yeah. You're, no, you're right. I mean, it's a, he's an explosive athlete, and that was nice to see because he's not a super light guy or something. I mean, he just doesn't have a ton of bad weight on him, I don't think, but he's listed like 6'4", 285 on his profile. Um, but he was impressive in that regard, but he was also very intentional with his technique. He was just really just locked in and focused. He um, he was he lined up in the, in the one-on-one portion, so we were already impressed with him just in the basic drills and stuff. So Jared Smith, he's, you know, like a, I think a consensus five-star guy. He's insanely long. He's easily the longest DB or defensive end at the event. Um, I saw a verified measurement afterwards. He has 37-inch arms, which is <laughs> like some of the longest in like NFL combine history at his position. Um, it's just insane. But he's, he looks like that. He's a guy, he has like no torso. He is it's like really long legs and really long arms. It's kind of, it's kind of wild. Um he doesn't look like a guy who has a lot of strength on his body yet, but that's that's fine. Anyway, he's a very good player, and he lined up against Mario Nash, and Mario really handled him, and that was really impressive to see. And that kind of 
I think he was already solidified and Clay and I's mind is, is a standout on the day and someone we would write about for sure. But that was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is like stock up on Mario Nash kind of thing. Did anybody get the better of Mario? Was there anybody that you watched that had a rep where they beat him one-on-one? I don't, I mean, it's kind of hard to even say with those. It's, you don't judge him like though that guy won, that guy won because it's, it's padless and it's those kind of drills. I don't know, but I don't think there was a guy that just smoked him now. I wouldn't say so. Um, and most of his reps, I think, were against Jared Smith. He definitely won the overall, you know, war there, I guess you could say. <laughs> and there was a good O-line group there. I mean, Mike Bose is another FSU target. Juan Gaston's a massive human body. He was also there. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few others. So it's not like Mario was going against nobodies and he stood out because there was nobody else among him. He stood out among a pretty talented group with some major power five D1 offensive linemen. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's a handful of top two, four, seven guys in that group, 100%. Um, other standouts, I mean, I don't know where you guys want to go with that. Yeah, like, give, uh, us a, give us a lightning round version of a handful yeah, of guys that you liked and why you liked them. A few more direct people, too, to your content at Knowles 24-7. I don't want to give it all away, Dave. Just a tease. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, a guy that I, I definitely have to mention is Duke Johnson, Daryl Johnson. Duke, or Daryl Johnson, he goes by Duke. Um so I will refer to him as Daryl Duke Johnson. Correct. Uh, Duke in quotation marks is what I'm looking at. But anyway, um, I mean, he's a top safety target for FSU. He's listed as a linebacker, but he is a safety target for FSU. I will repeat because I've seen it like a million thousand million times on the board. Um, but he's just he's another dude. He's a bigger, faster, stronger guy than than other guys at his position. Other guys he's playing against. He's. Listed 6'1", 200, and I think he's – I think 6'1's a little bit conservative. I'm 6'1", and he's taller than me, and I've, I've kind of always thought he was probably taller than 6'1". Um, but he's a guy who FSU's leading for. He's the crystal ball favorite for. Zach put in a crystal ball, I think, last month for him, and that's almost been like a long, you know, a long time coming, I guess is the term. Like yeah, he's and kind of sitting on that. And, to and add then, on that. Anna Adams put in right. uh, reported yesterday that he's locked in an official visit for this summer, along with a handful of other visits to other destinations. Also worth mentioning with Duke that he was an Under Armour game invitee. I believe that invite actually came off of the camp. Some right. guys go to camp and already have it. I think he earned his at the camp. Yeah, yeah. And he said, um, I mean, he gave like a top four, but I think FSU is certainly the leader there at this time. And he's a guy that likes FSU a lot, and they like him a lot. So he's someone to know. And he was definitely a stand on the day i didn't get to see a ton of them but he's just a big explosive mover that absolutely stands out even in a linebacker group where you know a, a lot of bigger frames in that group and he's really stands out as just just in his ability to move and and cover running backs out of the backfield and stuff he was making plays in the ball he had a, like four um like pass breakups and those one-on-one drills against running backs. And these are against, you know, very good running backs too. Again, it's a very talented camp. So was, was 2026 prospect Tyler Atkinson with the linebackers or with the edges? He did both actually. He ended up with the linebackers though. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I think, I, he, I, I think he ended up winning though. MVP. He won MVP with the linebacker group. If I recall yeah. correctly from the awards from the event, he was really good. I mean, I've never seen him in person before and I can, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of assumed he would just be, you know, twitched up and just very athletic for a guy his age, especially. And that's exactly what it was. He was working out with the defensive line group originally. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, 
he's a different kind of athlete than those guys. He looks yeah. like he can do both, I guess, but he he certainly moves like a really athletic linebacker or something. Very twitchy, very bendy. It's just yeah, that, that's another just dude. He's great. Well, let's see. Is there anyone else you want to talk about, Dane, or should we just refer them back to uh, our content at Mills 24? I mean, there's a lot more content on the side, of course, and there's multiple stories, like you were saying, covering this and standouts and insight from the from the event. But, like, um, yeah, no, that's fine. I was going to say, like, Zion Grady was – he was there. He was all right. Um, but, yeah, no, there's there's plenty of stuff on there. You guys can Did you out. enjoy it, Dane? Yeah, it was fun. It was the first time I've done anything like that, and same for Clay. So we kind of shared that experience together. It was fun. It was a good bonding time with Clay the whole trip. It, it's always I, I love camps. I, I enjoy sitting and watching camps. I don't put too much weight into them because obviously not padded up, so on and yeah. so forth. But I do find it be interesting to have a lot of guys who are highly thought of in the same groups together doing the exact same things and kind of seeing who stands out in that group at that moment doing that. The one thing I like about camps in this job is that I think it teaches you to be really good at this job because you're it's a little bit of chaos. You're, you're in a rush to get interviews, obviously. Your ultimate goal there is probably to gather a dozen or so interviews on a good day. But you also want to watch guys. You want to evaluate guys. You want to get a feel for guys. You want to see kind of how guys conduct themselves, whether it's warming up or going through the drill or competing. You know, is a guy just there to get a free shirt or is he there to compete? Is he there to get after and improve something or is he just there to enjoy a sunny day and get a little football in? I always think there's kind of notes you can take on the demeanor of individuals at those camps. So I always enjoyed them. Um, did a ton of them over the years. I'll still do some here down the road, but you know, I, I'm glad you're getting able, being able to spread your wings a little bit and enjoy it. Cause I know that's something that you and Clay both do enjoy. For sure. Yeah. Big into the evaluation scouting stuff. And yeah, it was a great opportunity. Big body language opportunity. Go and see how guys conduct themselves when they're not in drills. I remember at a seven on seven camp, at Florida State. I don't know why I should oh what, what Dan? Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna wait for you to say something. I was gonna say, um, that makes me think that's another thing with Lagans that I like to see was he was one of those guys that was like, you know, new drill starts and he's, you know, trying to like weave through guys to get to the front of the drill. He's he's that type of guy as well, which I liked, of course, is what you're implying. Yeah. Yeah. I, like under Armour Orlando last year, John Daniels didn't have a good day. It's no grand secret. People know about it. I enjoy watching an instance of failure because I think it also tells you as much as a guy going out and just dominating, you know, Mario Nash having a great day is a great thing. It's a reinforcement of what you think of him. John Daniels, who we know is a good football player and has a very high ceiling, having a less than stellar day also tells you something. I think there's value in both. I was going to share a story about a guy eating McDonald's on the sideline, but they don't have to. It's it's fine. He was just wolfing it down. Shows the the scale, the spectrum of what what it can be. So uh, that guy ended up kind of flaming out a little bit. Not to say because he ate McDonald's on the sideline, but yeah, bounced around a, a good deal, and, and it was a highly uh, thought of prospect, and, and never made it. So now, if it had been Burger King, Flame Bread Whopper, not as much oh of a character concern. That's uh, we're okay. Anyway, sorry. Anyways, uh, let's talk real quick. Two more recruiting items. Uh, this will be appropriate for both you guys to talk about because I think I think we're all fans of, of this player, and that's Zay Thomas, defensive back down in Fort Lauderdale area. Got to see him out of camp. It was last year. It was last summer. Yeah, he did both June and July last year. And he, was, he went to the elite camp and was really good. Uh, yeah, June, June was his best showing, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I remember as we were at 
uh, Hobbit afterwards and, and working and, and writing about it. And I, like, I sent him a picture. I said, hey, is this you? Is this you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, good. You were really good today. We want to make sure it was actually you. Yeah, I think I yeah. built his profile. So that was like us all uncovering him at once. And I think Pat Sertan mm-hmm. had a pretty good uh, relationship with him and knew who he was. Anyways, uh, Greg, Zay Thomas, I think he wants to go by Zay, right? Zay, Greg, yes. Okay. So Zay is a top, uh, almost like a top 110 player. I think he's 111 for us. He's right there uh, on the cusp and he is extremely talented and we have multiple crystal balls in for Zay Thomas. Uh, Zach led the way, but there's been other ones since then. He put out his top 10 on Tuesday. To no surprise, Florida State is on it. Uh, Gentlemen, this feels like a recruiting things can change, but this does seem like just another step towards what feels to be inevitable, right? Yeah, I think the hope there is that you get it done sooner rather than later. Anytime things stretch out and officials start happening, sometimes the the pendulum shifts. But in his case, I think he's a kid that, you know, there's four crystal balls for FSU. They're not done on a whim. There was a moment where we thought Tuesday may be a commitment announcement before realizing it was just simply a top list, which a lot of kids obviously are doing top list right now. But that's sort of where we're at. I think sooner is better in this situation, though, because FSU clearly has a momentum at this time. Dane's talked to him more and more familiar with him, put out a little bit of an intel piece coinciding with the top 10 and why FSU's kind of been the one that's standing out consistently. So he can speak even more on this subject. Um, yeah, I mean, it just makes too much sense, I think, with him because I mean, there's kind of nothing that doesn't point towards FSU. And I can kind of, I mean, I can explain that more. Like, one, he's been to FSU a lot of times and he has a very good relationship with a lot of staff members on that on FSU staff, but mainly Pat Sertan, who in Zay's freshman year at American Heritage, Pat Sertan was still the head coach there, and they had a good relationship. It wasn't just, you know, he's a player on the team, and you can draw that connection, but they did have a a strong relationship. I mean, Zay told me maybe last month or something how when when Sertan was still there, you know, he would, like, if he wasn't a in class or something like he'd be in Sertan's office and they'd be, you know, talking and just ha- kind of hanging out in there. And and even before uh, he was at American Heritage, like his dad had a, a good relationship with, or at least some relationship with Pat Sertan as well. So that's, you know, obviously a, a long lasting, strong connection and relationship there, but he's also the type of cornerback FSU likes. Well, if he's even a cornerback, I think he's probably more of a safety, but um, I think he's a cornerback. I think FSU probably likes him more as a safety, but that's also something they can kind of just figure out once he gets on campus. Um, but he's the type of defensive back, at least, that they like. He's a big framed kid. He's like 6'2", 200 pounds probably right now. Yeah. Um, and he's a very fluid mover. He's, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of his game. He's put on a lot of good weight in the past half year or so. Um, and... Yeah, I think there's something else, and I just can't remember what it is. But FSU oh, was his third offer. Yeah, it was a very early thing, and he's literally a, a member of the the Seminole Tribe of Florida. So um, that's a that's a big deal. I think a lot of people kind of just brush that off, but I and I think maybe he even tries to a little bit. So it's not like showing his hand, but that's a really big deal. The Seminole Tribe of Florida has. Um, uh, a really good relationship with the universe with Florida State University. That's that's a big deal. He, he grew up a fan of FSU because everyone around him, you know, was a big fan of FSU. And I feel like that's I feel like there's there's plenty of weight to that that people might not realize. The and ten schools on 
sorry, the 10 schools on the list, Colorado, FSU, LSU, Miami, Penn State, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Texas A&M, and West Virginia. He's been to FSU the most of any of those. Again, FSU was his third offer. Seminole Tribe of Florida member, long-lasting relationship with Coach Sertan, including his dad, who's known him even longer to my knowledge. And, yeah, so he announced the top ten on his birthday. Yeah, we'll see what's next for him. I don't think he set really a hard date for an announcement, but he also doesn't really have visits planned. Feels like that process is much further along than just simply a top ten. Dane mentioned Great. fluidity uh, to his game. I think that stands out the most to me, like within the frame. And I don't know what he would do, like in a you know, 40 yard dash type of setting, but just like some of the short area, uh, light feet moves really well, very comfortable uh, laterally. Uh, yeah, just just a very graceful player and, and a really good frame. I didn't realize, Dane, like when we saw him last year, that he was like 6'2 ish. Uh, he's, he carries it yeah. well. I thought he looked plenty long at that time, but he wasn't filled out nearly as much as he is now. Like he's physically developed a lot in that in that time. But yeah, you mentioned his fluidity and like his hips and the light field. That's why I like him at corner because I think that's, you know, just traits that matter more at that position. Like, and then you say like, maybe not like top end speed, probably not as impressive as that short area quickness. And that's why I think he, you know, the, the, the top end speed type stuff is I think more important at safety. Um, and so I'd prefer him there. And also just, it's rare to find a guy that, moves as well as he does in that short area um at his size at That's 62 220 really, yeah yeah you can really well 200 yeah but you can really capitalize that <laughs> you know like in press coverage or something uh more so than you know free safety or whatever but he's yeah. also physical and just a guy in that frame like he can really do whatever do a lot he of stuff. plays that he's been part of like two good prep programs too so and mm-hmm. high high floor as well i said 220 i meant 200 my bad um one other recruiting topic to get to this one could be significant, Chris. There's conversations happening. It seems like it's probable, I guess, at this point. Um, and that is the, the change to the recruiting calendar. seems like that's kind of where it's going. Um, yeah, I think Nicole that. Arbach of The Athletic reported yesterday, I believe it was, so that would have been Thursday, Thursday. Uh, that there's discussions about earlier in December as well as potentially August. We had heard, I don't know, maybe it was late last week, very early this week, but in recent days, basically that the possibility of August coming about for a signing period was there. No big secret. That's been talked about a good bit, but we're in that season where decisions are actually made on moving the calendar. It'll be interesting how much they move it. I believe the the move in December would be to the week prior to conference championship week. Um, I know the weird thing that happened last year because of the way the calendar has been changed is that week between your last regular season game and conference championships was basically turned into a dead week in the sense of coaches not being able to be on the road and whatnot. But then when you are a coach who was, you know, Mike Norvell, for example, who played in a conference championship game, you basically played your conference championship game, waited to see what the college football playoff selection committee decided, and then had to hit the road. And it was a buzzsaw for two weeks and portal recruiting gets kicking. And it's just a ton to lead up to that Wednesday in late December where decisions were made and signings were happening. I don't think the early December one, fixes it as much as we would hope. I truthfully hope for the August one. I think it's overdue. I think Isn't it potentially moved. both? Is yeah, it- I think the potential does exist for both the way they're talking about it. I, I think it would be better, personally, August allowing basically kids that make spring and summer decisions to be done with it. They're locked in. They can get out if their head coach gets you know canned. But other than that, we're done. 
and then have one in December, figure it out whether it wants to be the beginning or the end of December. It doesn't really matter because the portal is still going to open. You're still going to have all process into early January. It's not going to change that calendar drastically. But I think the ultimate goal is just getting essentially, for lack of a better term, kids off the docket. If yeah, you can start it kid, whether it's August or December 1st, it alleviates the need to deal with, you know, 12 to 17 to 20 kids. You know, FSU basically was dealing with 35 kids from December 1st to January about 15th that they ended up bringing in between portal and high school. And that's just so much at one time. It's nuts. There's got to be a way to shift that. I think the best shift personally is August. You know, last year if FSU signed their class in August, a portion of their class, you know, they probably have at least 15 signees at that time. Ballpark guess number on that of the guys that they ended up signing. I just think getting those off the docket, freeing up coaches from the responsibilities of going to see those and all of the things that come with it will be beneficial to everybody. Although, so, so I agree with, with that. I think there's a, a few places I want to go with it. Like, I think you still would have some other rules in place now, like if a head coach gets fired or whatever, you get freed yeah. and released from that. Uh, but like I was going to say that, that right now with, with NIL, um, and basically like you being able to kind of move around and stuff like that. And the only thing that's really binding at this point with unlimited transfers is like NIL contracts. Even that just uh, depends on how it's, it's worked out. Like, I still wonder like how much it solves. I think it alleviates some of the the pressure and stress I, for, for coaches, but I don't think, I it think it's more about it. getting it off the coaches docket than anything. I don't think it changes the wild west of the market necessarily, but I do think it changes just the calendar is, I mean, that calendar in December to mid-January, it, it's just, it's not something that can continue. It's, for, it's, for, for us, Chris, like, and we're not For doing, anybody, for anybody involved in doing this. Coaches are obviously going more than you know, than we are. They're, they're making more than, than us. But, like, for us, like, we were burned out uh, from, from doing it. And now extrapolate, like, going on an airplane over and over again, and uh, you're not seeing your family for four-hour days. It's crazy. There are kids that... I think would love to be done with it, done with it. August sure. 1st or August 15th, whatever date you want to set in August. Yeah. So some clarity. I, I um, do think there's benefits on that side of it. We, we always talk about like every kid seeming like they can just go wild west on us. And obviously they can the rules allow for that, but there's always in any signing class, probably 50% that are like, Hey, that's where I want to go. I'm done. I'm happy with it. You know, let's be done. with it. I don't want to have coaches walking in my school and saying, Hey son, take this official on the last weekend. You know, we're going to pressure the hell out of you. I, I think there's kids that want to get away from that. So I think that would be beneficial. From a coverage standpoint, I think for us it would be good. And not not I, even saying just hour-wise. I'd be like, happy to just fast forward to where we give them contracts and just turn them into employees because that's where we're trending towards eventually. Yes. Um, but, yeah, nothing happens fast in this world. Or I'm saying too fast. the spaced out of like, okay, covering August and, you know, uh, about 50% of the board being resolved then and then if there's a december one as well uh plus with late december early january you get transfer portal yeah. and then that would probably mean you know more leftovers uh, for lack of a better phrase like kind of stragglers i guess uh in february as well to where maybe february regains a little bit more of its I, its mojo spreads out i am hoping the goal of the rule is basically to turn december into a portal period instead of a high school and portal period mm-hmm because that's the part of it that's not sustainable. You're you're recruiting your own roster, you're recruiting transfers, and you're recruiting prep prospects. And coaches want January to be where they recruit ahead. Yeah. That's what's become for most. But, you know, if you can basically segment these things and create a window, this is portal, portal over, now recruiting ahead to the next class and the one after, 
I think coaches would be a lot happier. The issue is when there's one on top of the other on top of the other. That That's where the compounding of the situation has become uh, untenable. So let's take a quick commercial break. When we return, play a little buy or Sinone. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Okay, welcome back to On the Bench. Gentlemen, are you ready for Buy or Sinone? Brought to you by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. A, a little bit of news for Turner Group. I know they've been doing more work in Tallahassee, and we've been directing uh, people to to talk to Colin, Amy, Becky, everyone uh, at the Turner Group. To If you're in the Tallahassee area, you have a, a – a kid who's who's going to Florida State and you know talking about trying to to buy instead of rent. Uh, to let you guys know that it's official, FSU has a or sorry, sorry, Colin. Uh, the Turner Group has a full time employee in the land of Florida State, and that is Griffin Broker. Yes, Griffin's last name is indeed Broker. He's an FSU graduate. He was, he was born to do this. <laughs> And he is heading up to Tallahassee office and has an extensive background in property management, short-term rentals and investments. Basically the idea is don't spend money on rent, uh, student housing, invest. Uh, the, the Blostings have done this. Like they, they go up to multiple games uh, every single year. Probably, probably could have done this when, when Zach was a student, but I, I digress. Uh, they have a townhome in Tallahassee and they're really thrilled with it. And they went through Griffin Broker uh, as as part of uh, the Turner Group to go ahead and get that done. So if you're looking about, or you're looking, thinking about buying, selling anywhere in the state of Florida, the Turner Group is where we recommend you to go. All right, Jets, let's get into it. This comes from my buddy Ivan, who asks simply, buyer Sinone, knee's apathy level regarding men's hoops has already peaked. Uh, I'll buy that, yeah. I'm, I'm at that point where I just, like, they won the other night, and I was like, eh. All right, fair enough. This comes from Coach AB. Maybe you've heard of him. Buyer Blowstein. Oh, come on, dude. Moses is <laughs> better than Chipotle. So this was making its round on, on Twitter yesterday. I think we need to. I, I Zach's really dug in on this. Um, he's a Chipotle guy to the death. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly indifferent. I don't really like, like chain, whatever we're going to call that. I don't know if we should call it Mexican or uh, Tex-Mex or whatever we're going to call it. No, it's not my thing. Sorry. Uh, I'll eat them both. Like uh, Qdoba, I think Fink mentioned Qdoba. I remember when Qdoba was in Tallahassee, also was solid. But yeah, not my thing. Like I'm more of a true like old school Mexican dish kind of guy. Uh, I feel like I I guess I'd favor Chipotle, and that's that. It's like Moe's is like I don't know. There's a lower there's a lower floor with Moe's. You know, you can get it and it's like dry and Moe's is yeah. maybe I've had a bad experience or two with Moe's and I just haven't really had that as much as Chipotle. They make it. Well, I guess they both will make it in front of you, but I don't know. Um, uh, Moe's doesn't sponsor anything nationally, correct? Just Chipotle. No, that's not what I'm getting it's at. I love Chipotle. Oh. No, no, I just want to say that Moe's is trash. And if if they do sponsor us, I hope I don't. Uh, I apologize. Um. 
Moe's isn't very good. <laughs> it's consistently not very good. The one thing they had going for you was the the chip combo that they used to do on, was it Mondays? Uh, and they say, welcome to Moe's. A lot of gimmicks in life. And when you have that many gimmicks, it's not a... I'm a little uncomfortable with the whole yelling at me through the door. Right? I don't like that. Like, I worked like... retail years ago. And, you know, I worked at food chain years ago. Chris, you don't like I hugs. How are you going to like... <laughs> Shout it but out. But like, I'm just here to eat. Why are you yelling hello to me? Like, I just make my food, ask for your tip on the screen that I don't know that you deserve, and give me my food and let's be done here. Like, quit yelling at me. Yeah, oh, the tips like... on the screens now. Can we talk about that? I've just... control. It's it's a new pandemic. I, I'm, I'm just like, I don't know if submitted. I've just like submitted to it. Like, I just do the you know 15 or 20 percent option whatever's like the low oh, one i'm like oh my god it. so you just do it dane that's i do it i do it every time and i don't that's even care about want. it well you know i know what? It's, i know it's I'm... they got they got a sucker <sighs> that's what it is and just i'm aware the button i'm on fully the screen. aware he'll hit it my yeah my concern about it is that every single one of them is different so i don't know where to look and that's where they get you is trying to think about it and i think you just cop out like what dane does and just hit a button and move on. And so, when yeah. did we skip over fifteen percent being a thing? Like, why have we just rapidly gotten to twenty, twenty-five, or thirty? Like, why don't you just charge me twice? Twenty uh, percent when I'm dining out is is standard for me because my brain can work that way. Because uh, it's just ten percent times two. And if I had to start doing cutting in the middle, no, that's not how how we're going to go about this. I I may love analytics and numbers, but my brain does not work to go ahead and process it naturally. I'm going to go at seventeen and a half percent just to really screw with people. Oh, wow. I, I usually go, um, I'll just do like a whole dollar amount if I'm like tipping at a restaurant or something. And it's just like what feels right for, you know, 20, 25%. 20% is 202. And Dane's like, well, $3 it is. <laughs> I think we all, I, so I think this is a blasting uh, for, for multiple, uh, multiple categories that we derailed into here. Flounder Pounder asks, by Orsonone. I, no, I'm not laughing at it this time. By Orsonone, Norvell has something to prove in his passing attack to land an elite wide receiver. Uh, this is interesting to me because I think there's like this disconnect of. Uh, go ahead, Dave. You're, you're not. You know where I'm going with this. I, I do find this to be an interesting cat or topic because uh, there's a I'm, bit of a disconnect here. I mean, I've never talked to you about this, but I assume you're going to mention how. I mean, it's a good offense for getting points on the board, moving the ball. It's a very effective offense, and Norvell is respected nationally as a very strong offensive-minded coach. But his receivers, at least recently, like at FSU, have not been like statistical juggernauts and stuff. And even Keon Coleman, a big drawback in his draft status, at least among like more casual you know, people or more casual fans and stuff, has been like, oh, he only has 600 and whatever yards. Um, and so I would, I would think it's – probably that that you're going with yeah like it's, been, it's been used to guys. negatively recruit florida state at this point yeah um so sure. so this is the thing to talk about and i think there's some nuance some layers to it chris you got thoughts on this before we give our i mean i, I think it's a sunown for me because i feel like the offense is productive and the passing game is very productive and he has proven in his coaching career to have guys who could be almost for lack of a better term force fed from a number standpoint I just don't think that's what he has desired at any point in the FSU offense, specifically in the last two seasons when it's been a very good, capable offense. It's much more about spreading the ball and using a multitude of weapons and, you know, whatever that day kind of calls for you go with. I don't think FSU, despite Keon Coleman being immensely talented, a top two-round pick most likely, and Johnny Wilson being a unique type of figure, different kind of guy, I don't think they went into many games last year, despite the way they threw the ball to those two with the pure clear-cut intent of we're going to get them the ball this many times, 
you know, with the goal being this. I don't think that's how the brain of the offense operated last year. Even games where they did force the ball to them, Clemson, for example, comes to mind. I don't think the idea was going into that game of just producing numbers with those guys individually. And I certainly don't think that idea has ever been spread across, you know, 10, 12 games in a season at FSU under Mike Norvell. So it is kind of a multi-layered deal. I just, like, I think if you put an extremely unique special receiver in this offense, I know Keon is in that category, but for multiple years, I think they would produce at an extremely high level at some point in their career. Keon this year showed the ability to do that. It wasn't consistent over the entirety of the season in his one season with FSU. Keon's great moments were spectacular. Right. Um, LSU game immediately comes to mind. A dirty little secret with Keon's season. And a part of it is like he did get hurt, right? And that that was yeah. not. He missed a game. We saw now in hindsight we talk about like Contrary wasn't practicing for days on end um, or very limited for, for weeks on end. Uh, but like – a big proponent or a big component of what they wanted their offense to be last year was a lot of one-on-ones downfield. Those 50-50 balls to a Johnny Wilson or a Keon Coleman. Keon or Coleman Jaheim came Bell. to, or Jaheim Bell. Uh, Kentra Portier was supposed to be part of that too, got hurt. But Keon Coleman, like at Michigan State, his his contested catch rate was pretty close to elite. Like he was a top 10 guy, I think, of that nationally or close to it. 62% of opportunities he had uh, in contested catch situations, he came down with the ball. At Florida State, it went down to 33%, so almost cut in half. Combined with FSU threw the ball to him in these contested situations 30 times. That was, I think, like top five nationally, so it was just pretty – that's where the numbers go. Like, he's probably close to a 1,000-yard receiver and a balanced offense if he catches anywhere near close to what is his previous year's. Uh, yeah, it's not eight to ten catches if he's hitting at 62 instead of – And you're talking those contested catch passes are usually downfield too. Right. So. Um, like the offense has been proven that it can work uh, with the that it can feature a dynamic dynamic wide receiver. It happened at Memphis two years ago. Johnny Wilson was pretty close to it, and he was still developing too. This year, you had a lot of players to try to keep happy and and featured parts of the offense who weren't uh, veterans of the offense. So like Jaheim Bell was new, right? Keon Coleman came in in the summer, and so like you were trying to teach and, and work and get them all in a short window and it worked as successful, but, uh, to the, to the original question, like, yeah, um, there, there is something to where you have to, I think, combat that a little bit. So, uh, does he have to prove something? I guess by, I guess, I guess if you have a breakthrough year with like a high key Williams, that would help you get more guys like that. in in the future, and this year they had a really good wide receiver class, but it wasn't an elite one. It was more based on, on, quantity than it was like getting a jeremiah smith yeah and then portal wise they went you know buying on a guy like benson was about getting a vertical threat with a quarterback who can throw the vertical ball i am interested the offense has been different every single year under mike and that's true dating back to his memphis days i'm very interested what next year's version looks like uh, especially in the passing attack we've been doing some of the position preview or position inventory stuff. And, and Dane and I were texting about this a little bit on the side too. I think like it, it is interesting to look at when you take inventory of what the offense is going to look like, it's going to look different uh, individual. Like you look at each position group and it doesn't necessarily like wow you, but I think when you look at the all components combined, like it, it makes sense, but there's a few position groups where uh, I think Dane that you kind of look at and you say, Oh, you are going to need something 
to emerge here to feel legitimately really good about it. Yeah, tight end immediately comes to mind. You need Roydell to be what you hope he is at running back, even though you like that room overall. You know, Benson, we talked about at receiver. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, Brendan's, I think, basically saying there's a low floor to these rooms, but there's also playing high ceiling. Like, it does make sense, and it can work really well, but these guys also aren't proven. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a big question mark. It'll be something that'll be really fun to monitor during the spring and stuff to see how quickly things can develop and whether we feel they need to, I don't know, pursue another guy at a position like tight end specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like something in the the portal cycle before they pursued Malik Benson. I, I fully assumed, um, I fully expected them to, to try and land a guy with, I thought the most important thing was probably production, you know, a guy that's proven because you need something to establish a floor there because you have such, you know, unproven talent in the room. There's plenty of talent already, honestly. I mean, that's, I guess, obvious, but there's so much. Yeah, there's just not a lot of proven guys, I guess. And getting a guy like Malik Benson kind of, it continues to add to that talent. He probably is the most talented guy there, um, at least like, except for maybe like a high team Williams. But, you know, that's a second year guy who you wouldn't expect to necessarily, you know, be some major contributor, I guess. When did this uh, first... When did this first hit you guys? I know Brendan said doing the position previews and did for me it was when I did that percentage of uh production missing from the ball game prior to the sham of a ball game that we played last year. It, it was just like it drove home the point of man, they are losing a ton. And some of that was like toe Philly being out because that diminished, you know, some of the receiving and some of the rushing. But in general, a lot of that talent exited stage left. So you knew it was gonna be very different. Yeah, I thought it was like Right when the season, I mean, I when the season like when started, I, I thought it was in this. I mean, when the when the when the portal season started, okay. I thought like when we're trying to look at guys or we're trying to think about what they're going to go after at certain positions. I thought a wide receiver was like, okay, well, certainly they're going to get a guy with plenty of production, um, and he's going to come in and and uh, if he needs to be a wide receiver one, he can absolutely be that. And then if someone emerges past him, perfect, you know, then he's still going to be a guy, and then you'll have others who have emerged and can be major contributors um, but the floor would be established and I don't think that's there but at the same time it's hard to really doubt this coaching staff and how they've developed guys too on that point Dan, I think one thing worth mentioning is I think they believe they can go through 15 spring practices and evaluate do we need to go get that and I think that's true at tight end for example I think tight end is a spot where they want to see Kim Landon Thomas do things immediately as a true freshman to essentially be the number two to Morlock. But if he's not, I think they would very quickly go get somebody. And even if he is, and they don't think they have a next guy up, I think they may still go get a guy. I think that's true for multiple positions. I, well, they're very faithful to a lot of guys, and they do have sort of like a belief, like say a Tron or even a Darian Williamson, if he can ever stay healthy. I don't think they're so blinded by that faith in some guys at some positions where they're not going to go and try to get better. I mean, last year we saw it. They are always trying to get better. The one thing they are dealing with right now is they're pushing against numbers, but hey, numbers always work out. I, I think like when I think of the offense, I have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like. Uh, and I like we knew this was going to look very different from what last year's was. So to answer your initial question, Chris, like I, I, I just like going into the season that you were going all in and pushing your chips in the middle of the table to build something around Jordan Travis. And that meant going and getting Jaheim Bell in a one-year window and giving him all the reps, right? And Keon Coleman and, and so that maybe meant you weren't giving some younger guys more reps, but you were trying to go ahead and make a playoff push and 
we should have made the postseason. Um, but that's another podcast that we've talked about many a time. Um, but point being is like, I think I have a good idea of like how they've reloaded what they wanted to look like with DJ Ongolai as a, as a most likely starter at, like at quarterback and what his skill set's going to be. Roydale Williams, I think we have a pretty good idea of what that's going to be. Um, offensive line, I, I think we have a pretty good idea of too. Wide receiver and tight end are the two, like uh, we will see, especially tight ends, the one where I have a hard time envisioning how like the clearest path to that being an asset for you. Uh, or maybe a better phrase is like, there's a lot of ifs. Like if Kyle Morlock becomes a true tight end one, he was a complimentary guy last year. He's also the lowest ranked person on offense uh, per PFF. Like it needs to get better. If Jackson West, uh, Jackson West stays healthy, improves that he's a, a power five or, or power four tight end. Like I know he's a former man crush of yours, Chris, he might still be in that territory, but like there's two years of him not playing a ton. And we finally got to see a little bit late last season, uh, but it's not like a proven commodity. And then, and then Landon right. Thomas too. So, so yeah, there's, there's an idea of like, okay, we think what the offense is going to look like. Um, that's going to be interesting in the spring. I'm glad we derailed into this because I want to talk about some of the knowns and unknowns on, on offense before spring practice. So glad we got this, this discussed. Uh, another aspect of the offense, and this is our next buyer so known, uh, from Walk with Papuchas. Maybe you guys have heard of him at this point. Byers oh, yeah. sponsored Sorry. by the Turner Group. Thanks, Dan. We see a drastic improvement in FSU's third and short slash fourth and short offense this year. Uh, yeah, I'll buy. Um, I think they believe they'll have better guard play. I feel like I said this exact same thing 12 months ago. Hopefully, this time it's actually right and true. But I think they believe they have upgraded over Casey Roddick, for example, with a guy like TJ Ferguson. So, yes, I believe that will allow them to be better at getting the push. And yeah, I think the quarterback's a little bit more equipped for such things than the prior one, despite how elusive he could be. Yeah, there's the guys that are, are still there a year older, and the guys they added are plenty talented, like a Ferguson. I mean, we talked about last last offseason off with the addition of Jeremiah Byers, a guy with, like, an NFL ceiling and how big of a deal that is with an offensive line that has plenty of experience, but – not one that has a lot of like top flight talent and um a guy like ferguson is you know another another blue chip to slide into the the pile uh, yeah, i don't know richie Leonard Leonard too. Uh, oh yeah richie leonard's another another guy with experience but he's played for like some really strong offensive lines at florida and he's been very good to kind of replace demetri emmanuel potentially um yeah i would think i would think they're going to be better and I, i'm sure that's an emphasis of theirs FSU was 110th nationally last year in third or fourth down uh, with three yards or fewer to go. Also, Roydo Williams is kind of built for to be his, uh, he's, short area quickness and and power quickness. and the way he finishes yeah, runs yeah. too. Yeah, um, he's built for that. And Chris mentioned the quarterbacks. Like, yeah, that that will be an element of the offense that should be a strength for you. Last year, like Jordan Travis, when you ran the ball on on third and fourth and short, 50 percent success rate. DJ Uyunglele, 82.6% success rate. And he had the third most rushing yards nationally uh, on third and fourth downs uh, and, and short to go. So you have a six foot four, 255 pound quarterback. I, I think you're going to use it as, as part of the thought process there. Uh, last buyer to known for us, and we're very focused on the offense today, and that, that's fine. I wanted to talk about it. Playmaker 005 asks buyer to known. There will be more than one loss this year when we realize just how much we miss Jordan Travis and find ourselves saying something amongst the lines of, quote, this is a game Jordan would have taken over and won. Um, I mean, when we did our 
I guess I guess I'll buy. I'm sure there'll be that moment. I mean, Jordan was uniquely special. Houdini at times. Um, I don't think this year's team has that element to it. So sure, I'll buy it. Yeah, I would definitely buy that. I think, I mean, Jordan, yeah, he's a special player. He's one of the better quarterbacks in Florida State football history. I mean, you're definitely going to miss him. And DJ uh, is not like, I mean, I don't think he's like a special quarterback. He's just going to do what you need to do. And he's, you know, a guy that's really likable and and can do what you need to do in this offense. And adds, adds other things like the power run game and the vertical ball, all that kind of stuff he's strong with. But, I mean, Jordan Travis was like, really fun and could kind of, I mean, he's certainly an improviser. You said Houdini and that's, yeah, not a lot of guys do that at all. Think back to Florida game, 2022 Duke game last season, there were moments where he took over and you saw that magic that he, that he had that feel for uh, just the the moment and knowing whether to run, to throw and, and just put so much pressure on the defense. Yeah. DJ, DJ, you again, the, the most likely starter here, Probably not going to be that, uh, but there's going to be things uh, like with the short run game and uh, some of the vertical passing that that are going to be strengths for you, and you can build the offense around still. And, and some areas that might be better than what it was last year. Run game might be more consistent than what it was last year. You took a step back in that in 2023. Um, yeah, la- last year was the almost offense. It, they almost back, did that. They almost the, hit that. Going back and rewatching some like like Fink and I are doing like. NFL draft scouting just for fun on the sides. You're going to start to watch like Florida state film based on so many draft prospects. How many is sent into Indy? Uh, 11, nine, nine, 12. Is it 12? I think so. Yeah. yeah they graded nine. Right. They did grade three. So it's 12. Yeah. That's right. They had nine on NFL draft.com uh, that they had graded so far. Anyways, uh, so many draft prospects for Florida state. We're going back and watching it. And as explosive as the offense was at times, there was like just a miss block here and steal Jimbo Fisherism. Like, uh, just, just one more and it was out of the gate just in it, and it wasn't quite there um, so maybe that fortune returns to you in 2024 alright gentlemen anything else before we get out of here oh silence is great okay no. that, was my, that was my fault for going there Chris Nee Dane Draper I'm Brendan Sinone uh, thanks to everyone for listening thank you to our sponsor Chattanooga Whiskey as well as the Turner Group we'll talk to you guys next week and she-